Well, you know, I think about a lot of things when I play the piano. And one of the last things I think about when I'm playing the piano is the piano. Many times I think of the piano as a singer, as a voice. Sometimes I think of it as an orchestra. Sometimes I think of it as a horn. Just the piano by itself, it's kind of limited. It can be limited in uh, the range of expression. Once you hit a note on the piano, there's only one thing it can do, and that's get softer and die out. Technically, you cannot bend a note on a piano. So you try to somehow think and feel uh, like a singer or horn player sometimes to get the piano to do something that it doesn't naturally do. Mulgrew Miller was never confined by the boundaries of the piano, or anyone's sound. He was raised on the gospel and blues of his home state of Mississippi, transformed by the sound of Oscar Peterson, and played with Mercer Ellington, Betty Carter, and Art Blakey. He translated all of these influences into a deep versatility that would inspire an entire class of modern players. This is Jazz Stories. I'm Alexa Lim. Miller passed away on May 29, 2013. In this interview with Ave Carrillo, recorded in 2001, he remembers his move from the Methodist Church to the Ellington Orchestra and finally the New York jazz scene in the 1980s. Well, I don't have a formal education in jazz. My brother had some jazz records around the house, and this is early on, of course, when I first became interested in it. There were some people who were instrumental in inspiring me and pointing in the direction for me. Some local people, um, my high school band director, who's now deceased, his name was Nathan Jackson, and a gentleman who sort of an interesting figure. Uh, he played piano in the kind of the Nat Cole, Teddy Wilson, Earl Garner style. And he still lives in Mississippi, and his name is A.B. Ames, but everybody down there knows him as Boogaloo. But he, he played a mean piano, and he still does. He's about 80 years old now. We would just kind of hang out around the piano, and um, I would watch him, and he would show me certain licks and songs, you know. But uh, I grew up in a Methodist church. As a child, I had to play in all of the different churches, you know. I mean, my home church was a Methodist church, but um, invariably I would be at Baptist church in the evening or Sanctified church or some other church, uh, Seventh-day Adventist, the whole gamut sometimes, you know. I started playing church, I think, when I was about eight years old playing in Sunday school. I wasn't good enough to play in regular service yet, but I was playing all the hymns by ear. You know, and, and the the elder people in the church allowed me to do so. You know, I was like their little pet musician, and I grew up doing that. Actually, after I had determined that I would expand my horizons, I was still playing in church. 
Uh, as a matter of fact, I played in church up until I left to go on the road with the Ellington Orchestra. I was living in a different city then, Los Angeles, but I was still playing in church. I first played with Mercer Ellington while I was still a student at Memphis State University. I was called to filling, or sub as we call it, for the uh, then pianist Lloyd Mayers, who was the pianist that came in after Duke Ellington passed. And um, Lloyd was doing a whole lot of other things, uh, Broadway shows and everything. So they called me in for a weekend to play in Paducah, Kentucky. And uh, I did that. So that was my introduction to uh, Mercer Ellington and the Ellington organization. But it wasn't until about a year and a half later, while I was living in Los Angeles, that I actually joined the band. The first gig that I played, I was absolutely uh, horrified. You know, it was, I was, it was a bundle of nerves because I went in without any rehearsal. The only Ellington songs I knew at the time, I think, might have been uh, Satin Doll and Take the, you know, the, the most popular things, Take the A Train and uh, Sophisticated Lady. I think that's uh, about, that was the extent of my Ellington repertoire. Mm -hmm. So then what was that first gig like? Um, reading charts and uh, them being very tolerant of me. <laughs> and very patient with me, kind of trying to figure out how things went, because the, the Ellington book, the music book, was notorious for uh, music not being there. Of course, since Duke Ellington was the pianist in the band, he didn't read a lot of that stuff. So there weren't parts for a lot of those songs. I had to learn a lot of it just by, you know, either listening to the records or just hearing them in the band, just playing through them every night in the band. After I left the Ellington Orchestra, um, I moved to New York. Was, I actually became a resident of New York when I joined Betty Carter's trio in 1980. And that's when I uh, became active on the scene. As you know, the, the Ellington band was a whole nother scene. It was on the road and we were playing concerts and country clubs and dances and things like that. But it was when I joined Betty Carter's band that I became a member of the scene, you know, playing at the Village Vanguard and all of these places and and the whole uh, chain of clubs around the country. There was a resurgence of jazz in the 80s. Uh, it was the 70s when the straight-ahead jazz scene, as we know it, kind of um, died out a little. But there were still in spite of what a lot of people have said recently, uh, there were a lot of musicians playing jazz in, in the 70s. In the 80s, there was this big resurgence with uh, that came along with, you know, with Art Blakey's uh, organization and, and Messengers, which I was a member of, and uh, the uh, phenomenon of Wynton Marsalis, and all of the record companies wanted to went in Marsalis, so there was this whole surge of, of young talent coming into New York and coming in on the scene, being inspired by Winton's uh, success and everything. And uh, so all through the 80s, you had musicians coming from everywhere, 
and continued on through the 90s. Were you one of those musicians inspired by those that came before you, or were you a trailblazer? Yeah, well, I think we're all inspired by those that came before us because their example let us know that this thing can be done, you know, and I was inspired by Herbie Hancock and McCoy Tyner and Oh, everybody who played great, you know, Oscar Peterson, Ahmad Jamal, uh, and some that are not so well-known, uh, you know, people who were uh, playing a lot around New York at the time, you know, Albert Daly and, and uh, Harold Mayburn and Kenny Barron. And New York had, oh, it just seems like an infinite number of, of just wonderfully talented pianists. What do you think about being pegged as a hard bop player? I don't think that's a very correct description. As a matter of fact, the older I get, uh, the less I like uh, those kind of categorizations because critics, for one thing, you know, they have a knack of sort of wanting to define you or categorize you. And when they do that, they kind of dismiss you because they don't, once they label you, they don't really listen to you anymore. Yeah, they, they say, well... He's a Memphis musician, so he has that blues thing, and they don't listen beyond that. Or they might say uh, he's inspired by uh, McCoy Tyner, so he plays that modal thing, and they don't listen beyond that. That's what I don't like about the categorization thing. Just the whole thing about being dogmatic about anything, whether it's religion, whether it's music. You know, there are many jazz musicians we're very dogmatic about what they do, you know, that the music can only be played this way and it only sounds good if it if it's played this way or that way. And, you know, people are like that about many things, about religion, about politics, or about so many different subjects. So um, I think uh, for me, it would be a wonderful thing not to be uh, dogmatic about anything, if one can help it. <laughs> the late pianist Mulgrew Miller. This is Jazz Stories, the music and the words of the makers. You can find all of our podcasts at jalc.org. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Jazz Stories is produced at Murray Street with support from Jazz at Lincoln Center. So stop by a show when you're in New York City or check out the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra on tour. Support the institution that supports so much jazz. I'm Alexa Lim.